Welcome back, everybody. Yes, this is Peter. We are back once again for season two of Behind the Brew, a podcast all about coffee, the industry in Australia, everything from greens to roasting to cafes to barista work. Uh, we are, we've taken quite a hiatus, a bit of a break, uh, I think since before Christmas, just gone. So it's been quite a while, but we've been super, super busy at the roastery a few cafe rollouts, uh, a couple of collaborations, a holiday to Bali in there with the family because we were wiped, and uh, yes, a new roaster, got a new roaster coming, getting painted, getting commissioned, getting ready to go. Um, that's really exciting. So keep an eye out on our uh, Instagram at Bricks and Water Coffee Co. to uh, to see that bad boy up and running and roasting some delicious beans. Well, yes, so as I said, we've been super, super busy, um, but cannot wait to launch this season of Behind the Brew. Another season, another bunch of excellent, excellent interviews. We've got a good few up our sleeve, so we wanted to wait and launch this and hit it running rather than um, have it launch and then have a bit of any any delay between episodes. So we've got some really, really cool, very informative interviews coming up. We're going to launch this season with one from uh, someone who have I've come to know quite well over the last couple of years. His name's Dave Boudry. He is an excellent, excellent guy, super, super fun if you've ever met him. He works at FTA Coffee. He's a, a green supplier. He loves his coffee. He's very big on the um, on the judging scene and does a lot of work uh, in the Australian competitions as well. Uh, so you know that uh, when he's tasting coffee and evaluating coffee, he knows his stuff. Dave's a super fun guy. I get along with him really well. And so this is much more of a, <laughs> a bit of a chat, a, a casual sit down at the table rather than a, an, a straight up interview. I'm sure you'll get that when you start having a listen. So he shares a whole lot about greens, where he's come from through the coffee industry, shares about what it's like to be uh, working for a greens trader. Um, we touch a little bit on specialty and drug trade as well. And also, obviously, we talk about some origin trips of his and, and how that's really shaped his perception of coffee and how he approaches the industry. So, um, yeah, buckle up, have a listen, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Dave from FTA, how are you doing, mate? Very good. And you? Ah, very cool, man. I really uh, appreciate you coming on the show today. Looking forward to finding out all the interesting stuff about greens and supply chain, all that kind of jazz. So, uh, yeah, really uh, don't have many set questions, but looking forward to hearing on a lot more of the behind-the-scenes side of the greens. So, um, how about we start off with, uh, you know, where you're from, where you grew up. How did you come into finding coffee as a, uh, an industry that you wanted to be in or as a possible career path? Um, yeah, so go for it. Tell us about yourself. Uh, so, grew up actually not too far from where we are now. So, grew up in Altona. Yeah. Uh, and also very handy. Actually, currently working now about five minutes drive from the house I grew up in, <laughs> which is kind of handy. And, you know, we, we often go for lunch around the corner from where I went to primary school, which is a source of amusement amongst yeah. the people I work with. Uh, very local. Totally, totally. Uh, so, I said, grew up in Altona, um, had no huge direction in life like as as a primary school kid wanted to be a school teacher of all things uh, you know kind of went through high school and did stuff I enjoyed and no real sort of focus uh, ended up 
leaving high school, doing a couple of sort of uni stuff, started doing a Bachelor of Arts, uh, started there working in a cricket shop, doing a Bachelor of Arts while running a Gloria Jeans. Wow. As, as a strange one, as uh, I've had sort of a lot of people in the industry do. We all start somewhere. Starting the franchise. and yeah. Ex- Exactly. And I think the moment that I knew I was – like coffee was going to be something really important to me was I was sitting in a lecture and I enjoyed doing the lectures. The lectures were fun. The shoots weren't so fun when I actually had to do some work. Yeah. But sitting there and listening to it and trying to learn that knowledge was was really, really uh, engaging and interesting for me. But I remember one day sitting in, uh, I think it was a lecture, and an hour and a half later, I'd taken no notes from the lecture, but I'd work out the costings of every single product I'd had in the shop. <laughs> it was I was there for about a year and a half, and I thought, yeah, I think... Think I know which direction life's heading now, yeah, and wow. it was it was kind of that moment where it's like I'm going to put some serious time into it and effort into this. Yeah, yeah. So you're in the industry first, and then the passion realised from within. From within. yeah, it was look. It was always a, a great passion. It was always something I really enjoyed, uh, and it was there was probably signs to that earlier when I would organise my twelve contact hours a week. It's kind of around the roster that I wanted to work um, and and wanting to do sort of more of the stuff around the cafe than I actually wanted to do uni. Yeah. Um, it was just, we had a great group of guys in there. We had a lot of fun. We made some, you know, for what it was and what we're doing, we made some really cool coffees yeah. and just enjoyed it. So it was always a job of passion. Yeah. But it was that, it was that kind of moment that I realized that this was going further. This was not just a fun kind of something you're enjoying to make ends meet, to try to put together a deposit for a house. This is something that I actually want to do yeah. full-time going forward. Wow, wow. So when did you taste that first – I love asking this question. When did you taste that first coffee that was that transformed your understanding of coffee to not a commodity that comes out of a tin but something more, something more meaningful? I think there's, as odd as this sounds, I don't think there's been one time. Right. I, I think there's been multiple coffees that I've had, which has, you know, changed my whole view on the world and on coffee. And, you know, and it goes from, and I'm going to embarrass myself here. No, but no. I, I used to sit there and drink uh, white chocolate mockers at Gloria Jean's. Yep. It was, you yep. know, a couple of shots of espresso. Yeah. A lot of white chocolate powder on there and milk. Yeah. And I look at that now and it's not that my stomach churns. It's just like I don't know how I ever drank that. Like what? it's so sickly sweet and wrong. <laughs> well, I used to drink uh, a caramel latte with two sugars. And I think now I, I have half a teaspoon. If someone, if I accidentally get someone else's coffee with sugar in it, it's just like, ah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know how the heck I used to drink that stuff. But we all start somewhere, right? Exactly right. Exactly. Uh, so I think it was, it, there was one moment um, and somebody who's been very influential on my coffee life yeah. uh, is Lisa Feely, who's now at Proud Mary and doing some wonderful stuff there. But, uh, back in the day, she was the training manager for Gloria Jeans in Victoria and had a, was in their offices and we're having a coffee and she made me a, uh, I want to say it was a Kenyan. Yeah. Uh, 
Kenyan or Colombian or something like that, but she'd put it through a French press as opposed to the way we had to normally serve there. It was an espresso. and yeah. It was that kind of weird moment that you could have different brewing methods for coffee yeah. and that a French press plunger kind of thing wasn't you know, something old school and, and different and dirty and wrong and something that your parents had buried down the back of a cupboard somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, I, I remember that moment kind of changing my perception of, of coffee and what we were doing. And then it goes further along to years and years later, I remember working at Coffex, yeah. going around with one of the reps there and in this dirty, horrible little deli place that was doing, you know, 20 kilos a week, still don't know how. Yeah. We sat down out the front with the owner and he made me an espresso and it blew my mind. And this is like commercial coffee roaster, 101 kind of thing, you know, in in this environment where you would not expect, yeah, everything in this environment and everything about the situation is not telling you not to expect anything amazing. And it was. Yeah. And was happy to say that blew my mind and- then even 18 months ago at FTA, we had a coffee in, a Guatemalan natural. Didn't know a huge amount about it or anything like that. And, you know, so used to having washed coffees from mm. that region of the world. And just this coffee that was just super intense, strawberry jam and floral. And it's another time that just your mind gets blown by stuff you have and it, all these occasions kind of reinvigorate you and, and re-excite you about what you're doing. And I think it's something that we're quite lucky about in our industry so we can have occasions like that that kind of reinforce what you're doing. And it's going, this is kind of cool. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. So fast forward from uh, uh, Glory Jeans through to where you are now. How did you transition from, you know, being in the franchise side through to where you are? Um, I always kind of put it down to a series of a lot of dumb luck. Yeah. Uh, there was no sort of great plan or desire and where I am now is, uh, it was kind of the first time that I ever actually set myself as part of the industry and was lucky enough to get there. Yeah. So, left Gloria Jeans um, and started a job at Coffex. So they were looking for a rep and I was again just, you know, completely, I suppose, naive to a lot of the industry, had no idea, like eyes the size of dinner plates, kind of walking around going, this is going to be fun. Mm. Uh, and started as a, a rep at Coffex. So I was doing a lot of repping, a lot of training as well and learnt an incredible amount incredibly quickly. Mm. Uh as a foundation place and a great place to start, yeah, it was, as I said, I learned a lot uh, and just a great sort of grounding education for, you know, you come from that fan tr- that, that uh, franchisee a world where it, everything's structured, everything's laid out and you buy into a model to going into just being a coffee supplier and then cafes leaning on you for your expertise and what they're doing. And it's like, help me with this, help me with that, help me with other things. A completely different world. Yeah. And, you know, at 24, 25, whatever I would have been then, just, you know, really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different uh, areas of the, of the industry and how wide and broad the industry is in yeah. coffee. Yeah. So, 
from there, uh, ended up moving up to Sydney for a year, uh, something out of coffee, uh, came back and was lucky enough to start at Procal. It drew you back. It did draw <laughs> me back. I mean, yes, you, once a Melbourne boy, always a Melbourne boy, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, ended up at uh, Procal. So I was there for three and a half, four years. Yeah. Uh, had an absolute ball. Like, and again, just another side of the industry and, and something different, yeah. uh, but also heavily, heavily involved. And you know, we did a, a lot of other things like trying to sell into supermarkets and you know, dallies and mm. sort of other things like that. May or may not kind of ignored most of those <laughs> to go and talk to coffee roasters. <laughs> Sorry, Rod. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, sort of did a, a lot of work there. Uh, left and well, left to go to Numero Uno to do a lot of their training in Melbourne. Was there for a year. Uh, got drawn back to Procal uh, and then ended up at Griffiths Coffee. Yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, it was. Man, more to this story than I thought. Yeah. It's <laughs> cool. Yeah, there's a, a little bit of bouncing around and. Uh, it was at Griffiths for a year, uh, and then that's when I landed on my feet at FTA. Wow, wow. So, you really got you got the whole roaster side plus the green side now, which is a really unique perspective on the industry. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of weird that you, you talk to most people and they turn around and have that same sort of thing, kind of like you've seen so much of the industry and you have different points of view on it and different aspects because of that differing knowledge yeah and it's kind of weird i don't realize or appreciate it myself i think because i I look at other people like yourself and other guys around the industry and get attracted and drawn to their knowledge and kind of hang off some of the stuff they say and i think there's there's so much knowledge and so much so so many differing perspectives out there yeah uh, it's just good to be open and have conversations like this and, yeah. and enjoy where everyone else is coming from and and sort of put that knowledge base together. Yeah. Um, we're still a very, very young industry, yeah. especially in, in Australia. Uh, and it's good to have such a open and honest industry where people can bounce ideas off each other. Absolutely. And that's the whole, that's the whole reason for the show is just to get – you know, just to hear the different points of view because you've got so many different roasters, but they've all got a different angle on the industry. And, uh, yeah, I'm learning a lot from everybody, so it's really, really cool. So, uh, so FTA, so what's your role role there? And uh, what's your day-to-day like at FTA? Uh, so, coffee trader at FTA, yep. uh, which is, you know, been there two years now, started off as a completely foreign world yeah. and it's it's one of those things that going through the industry you you learn bits about the green side of things and you know you know bits about what you're doing and then when you jump into it you realize you know it, nothing exactly <laughs> right you know an, an an absolute fraction of what there is and uh two years later i realize i knew a fraction hmm. i feel like i know a fraction more but yeah. it's kind of the more you learn, the more the more of the horizon that you realise you can't see. Absolutely, yet. I'm finding um, that all the time, all the time. Yeah, yeah and it's it's and such a great, entertaining, interesting journey that it's been so far. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's kind of one of those things that how, as Charlie says to me, who I work with, is how deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Yeah, right. 
which, which is an interesting trip. Uh, so on a, a day-to-day basis, it's it's kind of a little bit weird and a little bit sort of left of centre to what I've ever been used to because it's always been out on the road, a lot of talking to people, a lot of travelling around, visiting people, drinking way too much coffee yeah. per day. To now I sit at a desk. Yeah. <laughs> and I will sit there and do do a lot of uh, commodity-based work, um, spreadsheets, working out different prices, working out you know when coffee's going to arrive and when we can talk to people about different things, cupping enormous amounts of coffee, being exposed to every level of coffee that's out there from the ridiculously good to the ridiculously <laughs> other end of the scale, let us say. Uh, so on a, on a day-to-day basis, it's more trying to line up people with coffee and make sure that we've got enough coffee coming in, going through the system, and hopefully keep everything on track and working. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's a side that um, I certainly, when you start learning about transacting in larger quantities of greens and you realise that there's this beast, this huge trading beast that's in the background, you know, procuring all this stuff and it's like, man, I'm just buying like, you know, even if you're buying pallets at a time or a container at a time, it's still like scratching the surface of the supply in the world. The numbers still blow me away. Yeah. And it's the one thing I realised that the further sort of back in the chain you move is like you, you know, there'll be people listening to this who are in massive cafes like, and we're talking 50, 60 plus kilos a week. Mm. And as you said, like you're ordering a pallet of coffee, which I mean, depending on the origin, we're talking you know, up to a ton kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then we're importing containers. Yeah. And then of those containers, there are millions upon millions of bags sitting at origin waiting to go out. Yeah. And the sheer volumes of it still do my head in. Yeah. And you, you go sort of all the way back, you go into the chain. At some stage, somebody is picking two beans off a tree in a cherry. Yeah. That still blows my mind. Still blows my mind that someone's physically picking that off. I mean, except for Brazil, right, where there's a lot of me- mechanical, Correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah, mechanical harvesting. Everywhere else, it's like... Some person's pulling that off a little tree. Just somebody's pulling it off a tree, putting it into a bag, either selling it to someone or putting it out on a patio, drying it, processing it, fermenting it, doing all that jazz by hand for it to ramp up into warehouses, into processing mills, into containers, you know, to us to break down again into pallets, to you sort of into roasting at batches and then into a cafe who's you know, going to serve it out in a, you know, yeah. you know uh, what, 18 grams sort of shot, <laughs> 22 grams shot, whatever they, they want to sort of do with it, you know. Oh, yeah. um, and, and again, and it's one thing that always used to kill me on a shop level is somebody who'd get the grinder wrong and then dump half a chain of grind just gone. It's oh. a lot of work that's gone to get that to you and you're just going to throw it out or muck it up or yeah. whatever. It's, yeah, like I'm, I'm all for for getting things right and quality control and not serving out stuff that doesn't taste any good. Mm. That's a lot of work though. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I, I refer to it too often, but um, when I watched the film about coffee and saw, um, you know, really watched for the first time, watched people picking it and watched it going through the tra- the, the chain 
and then thinking about those times where I've been, you know, tasted something and thought, oh, that's that's garbage and just, you know, dismissed it and thrown it out or I'll stuff that roast in the bin or, or you know, uh, got the grind wrong and it's just like, you know, dump out five or six shots or whatever and just yeah, the perspective of the value of that coffee that you've just wasted, just, you know. No, exactly. Uh, and, I mean, even now we we do the same thing and – it's a fine line between allowing something to reach its maximum possibility and sitting there just going, there's a lot of work that's being put into this and yeah. you know, you've, you've got to allow it to shine. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes through. And uh, one thing I always used to, to teach my guys when I was training is this is the path coffee takes and go through all the steps and you're the last person who touches it before somebody's going to consume it and it's gone forever. Yeah. And you're the one who's going to muck it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or not care. Uh, yeah, not e- care exactly. That- exactly. And, you know, back Gloria Jean's days and I, you know, we had 15, 16, 17-year-old kids who could dial in grinders, could analyse a shop profile. Yeah. And look at it and just... You know, I had other franchisees who would look at us and kind of, you know, would would speak disparagingly about it. And then I'd have coffee with them and go, I think we're going all right. Yeah, yeah. Just smile, cool. Thank you for your coffee. See you at the next event or whatever and walk back and just go, like, you may be doing twice the volume of I'm doing, but at least I arrogantly I know yeah. my coffee's rocking yeah wow wow so give us um, talking about the big numbers um, can you glean a little bit on the percentage of you know we're involved in this you know quote unquote specialty scene um, so we're talking you know 80 plus scoring coffees um, what percentage of the actual market is really at that level so I look around Melbourne you know Sydney Adelaide uh, they're the places I'm exposed to so forgive me the other cities um, and you think specialty coffee is everywhere and it's like we're all on this big drive, you know, you get rid of, you know, commodity tasting stuff and get specialty out there. Everyone needs to taste this stuff. Um, and then looking at lots of great cafes and it's like, well, there's not that many bad cafes left. But then realizing actually, no, there is not, sorry, I say that wrongly, not bad cafes, but cafes that, that aren't serving the quality that they could. But then that's just the cafe side of it, let alone the instant side and the, Nespresso pod side and all of that. So, do you know like a rough kind of eighty plus? Like, what percentage of the actual market is that for? You know, production, total oh, production. That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, I remember reading some figures a while ago that fifty percent of what is consumed in Australia is instant coffee. Yeah. Okay. And it's just a, you know, we we talk about what we do in specialty and the people that we serve and, you know, as, as cafes, as, you know, whole bean coffee served either by in home or by baristas or whatever it is, Mm. it's 50% of the market. Yeah. And this is one thing. And that 50% has the scale from absolutely charcoal roasted garbage right through to specialty. Oh, totally. We're talking, you know, 
dirty truck stops halfway up the Hume Highway where yeah, it's yeah. like three a.m. in the morning. It's like it's coffee time kind yeah. of thing. To you know, you super super uber pointy end guys yeah. who will throw out half a dozen shots to get that one amazing one. Yeah. Uh, and you, you know, when you look at the scales of that, and the industry's tiny. Yeah. It's we all get so wrapped up and so involved in what we do, and rightly so. Like, mm. don't get me wrong, it. You know, we all here because we love it and it puts a roof over our head and foods on the table, but it's a tiny, tiny fraction of the world of coffee. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that is as specialty guys and even, you know, I hate the, the term commercial, but the kind of yeah. the uh, the cafe scene and where we at, if we can just chip away and convert 5% of people who drink instant coffee to what we do, Look at the huge growth that we could have in our industry. Yeah, yeah. The the guys who do the instant stuff, you know, if they drop 5%, they'd notice it, but it's mm. like a drop in the ocean. To us, it'd be massive. Mm. You know, we're, we're talking mm. 20%, 30% sort of growth in the industry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and then uh, you have a, a lot of, Roasters and a lot of guys sort of going around scrapping over this cafe and that cafe and there. And it's, it, don't get me wrong, this is what makes us all survive and all tick. Mm. But the more people we can get consuming our products, the better it is for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and and as an industry, I think this is such a massive focus that oh, I don't know if we ignore. I just don't know how much we focus in on it. Mm. Uh, and one thing you mentioned before was pods. Uh, you see a lot of roasters now sort of jumping on there, putting pods in and, and you know, embracing that, which is fantastic. Mm. Because if we can have that transition from instant coffee through to pods, through to what we do and have that, have people turning around and going, wow, this is, this is better than what I'm drinking now. I'm not, I'm not drinking coffee purely because it has caffeine in there. Mm. Mm. I'm drinking something that I actually like. And that's, Interesting because we, I mean, we're making Nespresso pods um, on a pretty sm- on a small scale just for for retail around around our area. Uh, but the when we get comments back that these taste better than the Nespresso branded pods, one it makes me go, well, "What the heck are they putting in there?" And two, it's like, "Wow, if we can get people drinking freshly roasted, good quality coffee out of a Nespresso pod that tastes better, and they can know that it tastes better." Is the possibility of why does it taste better? Oh, because it's fresh and it's because it's good quality. Oh, well, you know, what does that mean? And it's just like we just see it as our gateway drug into into you know high quality coffee, and uh, I think that's a that's got a huge role to play in, in converting. Well, it's uh, one thing. I, one thing I love about coffee and in life in general, I think, is having what you think to be true completely blown away and changed yeah. <laughs> um it's it's kind of like one of those sick little pleasures of cool i thought that was awesome yeah. or that was wrong and then having that perception changed uh and one thing going to origin at the start of the year there were so many farms we'd go to and some of the the bigger operations like the guys who really switched on ramped up production like we're running it as a fantastic business, would sell to Nespresso. Yeah. Would sell to Starbucks. Would sell containers of containers load to these guys. 
and they're selling good coffee. Mm. And they would turn around and say, for us, this is a great business model where they come in, it's regular business, it's, it's good business, it's consistent sort of year to year, and it's good coffee that they're putting into it. Mm. Um, for them, it's like, well, we're making great coffee and it's a sustainable purchase from the other side. There's exactly. safety in that, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, how what happens from there is, you know, how they roast it, how much coffee they actually put into the pods, what they, they do from there. I mean, they've got a certain market and a certain, you know, demographic that they're trying to hit. I said they they do a lot of good coffee out there. Uh, and if it bridges that gap between, and as you have said, you know, you've got guys who have probably started drinking instant, going to Nespresso, coming to yourself, you know, in a pod form. Well, then it's like, well, I, you know, I know this company now. I've seen them out there in the marketplace. Yeah. Let's let's try some some more of what they've got. Yeah, and it's just it's a great stepping stone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned an origin trip. Can you tell us about an origin trip? Or what a normal kind of origin trip for you guys looks like um i think it's something that we know well i know personally very little about um i just you know know that you guys get great great coffees in but what's the process before it lands at warehouse well i mean that's a huge question yeah, right? no, no. I, I get that i get that but you know you go to origin cool you meet the guys you know tell us what that's like because a lot of us don't experience that one of the most amazing exhausting experiences of my life yeah um and I'm happy to admit I'm a total nerd, total geek, total kind of visual person as well. Uh, and from any form of traveling I do, and I I remember once going to Paris. Mm-hmm. Like, lucky enough, I had a mate living over there at stage and went there and um, coming up one of the, the metro stations, turning around and 20, 30 meters away is the Arc de Triomphe. And like, it's that brief moment of going, you've seen this a million times on film, TV, photos, yeah, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. But shit, it's right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can touch it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and for me, an origin trip was that and so much more that you, as coffee people, we, we know and I kind of yeah, quite unquote. We know the journey that, that coffee takes. We know how it's done. You know, coffee gets picked from a tree, processed, put in a container, all that kind of stuff. But then you see it. Mm. And the I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I think it changed everything that I, I thought of coffee as well. Wow. Uh to go from as I said, guys ramped up doing massive volumes you know, fantastic operations. Like, uh, you know, if you go to a, a dairy farm or a wheat farm or yeah. a, that's probably a bad analogy, but more like a, a bit more like to a winery here. Sure. And, you know, we're talking some of the bigger guys like the Penfolds or the mm-hmm. Jacobs Creek. Mm. Very, very similar kind mm-hmm. of operations. And these guys are there. It's gone, this is what we do. This is what we're aiming for. This is the quality we want. Uh, and remember meeting with one farmer who we've got a little bit of coffee from as well. Uh, he was there and goes, as we're cupping his coffee, he goes, I want to know what you think. Mm. I want to know how to make my coffee better. Wow. He goes, you guys are fantastic. He goes, I hate the Japanese who come out here because <laughs> they tell you nothing. They'll t- sit your coffee. They'll talk amongst themselves and they go, yeah, this is good. 
we'll buy some. He goes, but tell me what? Yeah. Like, no, no, we just like it. So he was super, super engaging, hanging off our every word. Uh, but cupping wise and knowledge wise, he was brilliant. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, just a, a really, really great experience. And then you go further and further sort of into country and up the mountains and into little towns of little co-ops. And we went out, uh, this is in Guatemala, went to by way to Nango and up further into a place called Union Cantonil. And And one thing I learned about Origin is nothing is easy to get from A to B. And that's a, that's another story in yeah. itself. But even meeting farmers, and we're talking guys who've got patios where they're drying would be maybe ten meters wide by about you know twenty meters long kind of thing. Yeah. Guys even smaller than that. And you're talking to them, it's like, well, how much do you produce a year? And we do five hundred bags from here. Really? How? I just can't imagine sort of that amount of coffee moving through there. Um, hard work. A lot of hard work. Um, we we stopped sort of in the middle of, of two houses where they've got the the wet mill there and the patios drying it in front of the house. And we were talking to, to one guy in horrible Spanish as we had somebody translating for us. And uh, he was the father and his son was living down in the other farm, mm. 20 metres apart from each other, sort of virtually on the same plantation. And even talking to these guys, it's they were looking like, what do you like? Yeah, wow. What can we do to be better? Incredible. Uh, and that changed my perspective of how, how the industry's seen, like how farmers are producing, you know, and we get so wrapped up and focused and you know we we will argue cupping scores of you know quarter of a point half a point but it's still the same way the whole way through the industry in a lot of ways it's yeah, yeah. guys just trying to be better at what they do and produce better coffee so people will buy more of their coffee versus someone else's mm-hmm. uh again it was just a really big eye-opening experience yeah wow so those smaller co-ops, I mean, they, um, all those smaller farms, they just basically sell uh, like a wet hold coffee or a fully dried or everything in between to a to an on the ground guy, and then you guys are dealing with those guys or different scenarios each time. So yeah, different scenarios each time, and different regions will have different uh, ways. Oh, okay. Correct, correct. Um, so let's let's take Union Cantonil for example, uh, and this was kind of one of the wish places that I I wanted to go to. You know, going back a step, we had some of their coffee the year before and it was um, blew my mind kind of stuff of this is delicious. Like this tastes like lemonade acidity kind of, wow, "Wow, this is awesome. Uh, Sorry, it didn't all be totally just geeking out. Yeah. so really wanted to go and and visit this region. Didn't know a huge amount about it apart from what you've seen, what you'd read, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then to go there. So these these farmers would wet mill all their coffee, dry it out into parchment, yeah. 
and then bring it sort of to a central collection point. Uh, and this was one of the, the Olam collection points. So we had a, a cupping in there, which is a, another experience again. Yeah. Uh, but then they'd take it to there and that would – so from that centralised little warehouse and we're talking a building 10 by 10 metres. Yeah, right. Uh, with basically two signs on the wall and which we kind of deciphered from the Spanish written up there into yeah. English. One was uh, certified and non-certified. And I was like, cool, okay. Uh, so it was literally a uh, like a cinder block building with a corrugated iron roof, yeah. a little office in one corner and somebody sitting on a desk with a computer who they'd bring the coffee in, they'd do all the sort of moisture testing on it, density testing on it, uh, sort of roughly work out what it was and then offer the farmer a price yeah, well. from there based on the quality. Uh, and then, you know, it would go into either if somebody wanted a lot from an individual farm, then that would be put aside. But mm. it was either certified as, you know, fair trade or oats or whatever yeah. different certifications or non-certified coffee. Yeah. And that would be the coffee from that region. And so that then just gets all the different little farms all get lumped into that named region. And then someone like me would buy that off of you from that named region? Correct. Right. Correct. So, I mean, that's uh, – so, Union Cantonal is a region in Weiweitenango, which is, again, it'll go a little bit further out. It's mm -hmm. a region in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. So, that coffee was, you know, shipped to a centralised mill uh, and that would be sitting there in parchment and waiting to be, you know, waiting for somebody to order it so it would be processed and put into a container. Yeah. So, that kind of leads me on to think the – I used to think a romanticized notion, but now a seemingly futile thought of someone like me trying to direct trade. Can we, obviously, you're you know you're right in the middle. So if I'm talking to another roaster and it's like, oh, direct trade, and it's like, oh yeah, skip out the middleman, which is actually you guys pretty much, without going further into the logistical chain of on the ground there. But just hearing all that it just makes it seem like absolutely out of reach and just do, do, do roasters even know what they're getting into when they say i want a direct trade now I, you know i'm not wanting to run down anybody that wants to do that but to me it's like man you're good at your stuff and you're even dealing with other middlemen on the other side to to coordinate all this so the thought of me as a roaster trying to go on direct trade just seems like ludicrous there's, there's so many analogies I, I can kind of use yeah. for this. And, you know, going back two years, I would have said exactly the same thing as, as you've just said of like their whole romanticizing about direct trading and dealing with one farmer or one co-op and things like mm. that. And like, don't get me wrong. I, I love it. I love the whole concept. I love the idea. Mm. And now that I'm on this side of the fence, I've heard all the horror stories that come with it. Yeah. Um, and I just – I feel so sorry for some of the guys who've gone down that path and it's kind of pear-shaped. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of guys who've done it and, and it's been successful and it's worked and and good luck to them. But, yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the guys who we went away with had just done a, uh, nearly a full container uh, from another origin and 
we, we were talking about it and they were pretty keen to go forth the next year and do the same thing again and the year after. Mm. And after about three days of going through Origin, going through this, uh, he turned around to me, he's gone, so yeah, bet next year. Uh, help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm freely admit as well. It's again, it's not until you see some of this stuff as you can have an appreciation for it. Yeah. Um, even just the logistics in country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were sitting there, you know, the, the night after a day and we'd Google where we're going the next day. Like, cool, we're going, you know, 200 Ks in, further in country or whatever it is. Awesome. How long is that going to take? A whole day. <laughs> well, the guys who we were traveling with, it'd be oh, a couple of hours, maybe five. It's 200 Ks. Yeah. Okay, cool. Reality, five turns into eight and a half. Yeah. And it's just, it's hard. Yeah. Um, and... One of my favourite things was, so there's a new law in Guatemala that anybody's allowed to build a speed hump anywhere they want. So if you've got a roadside stall and you want all your passing traffic to slow down (laughs) and look at your stall, you build a speed hump. You don't just build one. You build a couple either side of it. That's ingenuity. Oh, it's, you know, capitalism 101 is brilliant. Good luck to you. But the funny thing was is, you, for the last half a dozen Ks, you'd be trapped behind a bus or a truck and you see this speed hump coming up and you go, oh, yeah, here's my opportunity to get around this. Yeah. The only problem is there's half a dozen cars coming <laughs> the other direction, <laughs> trapped behind another bus, <laughs> who see that three and a half metre gap. They've got, yeah, that's my gap. Yeah. <laughs> so, from... From Eric, who was driving us around, we uh, we learned a new phrase. Sorry, senor. <laughs> Sorry, senor. <laughs> yeah. So, after after the first day, I, I was sitting in the front seat and I said to the boys, oh, so do you guys want the front seat later on? I'm happy to sit in the back. And uh, I think it was Callum who turned around and said, um, no, no, we've we've looked out the front window. <laughs> we don't want to say that for eight hours, man. We, we, well, I saw ten minutes. That was enough. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, from a from a trader's point of view, I guess is it. I mean, sorry, step back from a roaster's point of view. I'm thinking to myself, wow, the connection and the value in being able to direct trade is is seemingly very high. Um, you know, I know that the money I'm putting in is going directly to this farmer and his kids and all that kind of, all that sort of stuff, which is it's very noble and it's and it's good. Um, but yeah, just the, it's just a lot bigger, I think, than what people realise. And I think the responsibility of actually buying this guy's whole crop, because I've heard stories where guys, you know, buy the first crop and then the next year they buy the second crop. It wasn't quite as good as the first year. Come third year, they're like, oh no, sorry, we're not interested. And now this guy's like, hang on a minute. I was banking on you buying everything from exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's and and this is the one thing I'm learning is I don't know what the right answer is. Right. I don't know if there is a right answer yet. And I'm sure there are people who 
have been around a lot longer than I have and a lot smarter than I am will have a entirely different perspective on there. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking at sort of a drop in the ocean of, of my knowledge and my mm-hmm. learning and my sort of life through coffee. Um, but you're dead right in what you say. And I've seen it as well, who've guys who've, who've taken, you know, full lots or containers or whatever and have that variance from season to season and letting farmers down because it's not quite the same. I don't know what the answer is on mm-hmm. that side. But true uh, sustainability surely is riding that wave with them because they're dealing with a natural product. They're dealing with environmental issues that they can't, you know, rain, wind, sunshine, whatever, drought. Yeah, correct. <laughs> they're exactly. dealing with all those things. And sure, you know, the responsible and the sustainable point of view would say, well, we buy it anyway. But then the pressure on the roaster is that we don't want to buy coffee that's not up to scratch. Exactly right. Because, I mean, you know, from a roasting point of view, you've got to sell it to a cafe or. Yeah. You know, if you're selling it yourself and then you've got baristas or customers turning around going, I don't like your coffee anymore. Yeah. Because now you've got to, you need to find a market for that coffee as well. Mm. Um, and I, I suppose this is, this is where a trader comes in to help you source that coffee, help you keep that consistency, you know, throughout the, the seasons, throughout the mm. cycles. Yeah. Um, I mean, what we all want to help farmers and we all want to give them the most value for what they do because if they're not seeing decent money coming back, if they're not providing a quality product that, that we want to buy, mm. uh, they've got nowhere to sell it. They will, you know, as you would do with, with any business, you'd pull out your coffee plants, you'd plant something else because yeah. th- there's more money in that. Um, you know, we you're not going to see a cafe sitting there selling two kilos a week if nobody wants to buy it. Like they they'll pull that out and they'll do something else. It's yeah. anything in in business. So, as as traders as as roasters, it's a hard one to do. And we we're trying to sort of build uh, a whole lot of partnerships with different farmers at the moment to keep that consistency up mm. uh, to have so we can highlight their products. And, and that's sort of – that's essentially our job is to allow the farmer's product to shine mm. and to pull back that curtain a lot, to, to allow people to come and, and see what they do and not so much have that mysterious uh, mystery behind mm. what goes on uh, and I think a lot of where guys want to go direct to farmers has come from because there's a, a lot of times that they haven't been able to find what they've needed, find what they've wanted, go into, go into sourcing coffee for all the right reasons. Mm. Um, what the answer is, I'm, I'm sort of not too sure and yeah, I'm yeah. kind of rambling yeah. a little bit, but um, I mean that – in a lot of ways, that's that's our job as well is to try to, if there's something you want or there's something you like or somebody you want to work with, is try to make that connection happen mm. and help you get good coffee year in, year out, help that uh, sustainability go the whole way through the chain. Yeah. yeah. Because if the roaster can't 
sell his coffee, well, then he's not buying coffee. And if, you know, if roasters aren't buying coffee, well, then I've got nobody to sell coffee to, mm. which means I'm not buying coffee, which means the the exporter at Origins not selling coffee, which means the farmer's not selling coffee. Mm. So it's a massive chain that relies on everybody at every step of the chain. Yeah, yeah. So you, uh, FTA are actually point, like, can you facilitate meeting the farmers and facilitate meeting people at Origin or, you know, hey, I'm, I've bought this batch. Um, it's great. I want to keep buying it. And do you facilitate that relationship development? Yes. Yeah. And one thing as well is we're, we're still relatively new yep. in what we're doing. Like Charlie, who I work with, has been here two and a bit years. Uh, I've been at FTA two years now and we're still establishing and building a, a lot of those networks, a massive advantage we've got is we do a lot of work with Olam, yep. uh, who are one of the biggest traders in the world, and we lean on their uh, networks sure. a lot, which is handy. Uh, but it's also it's leaning on that and developing those relationships. Uh, for example, went to Guatemala with a couple of roasters at the start of the year, and their coffee's just landed now. So we went and visited a dozen farms. Mm drank way too much coffee i think i think by the end of it we would have had 180 different Jesus. samples which is and fun and, and not fun palate fatigue how do you do well that's a lot of apples and bread right <laughs> oh no no that's uh, no there's no apples there's no bread it's just soldier on through um there was one day i think it was day two that we uh we lined up we had 40 coffees to cup starting at eight o'clock at night <laughs> there were some big days there, I remember we, we lined up for, for one table And we looked at it and There was 20 there And we've just gone Oh this is going to be a big day And then halfway through that They started setting up the second table And uh, all three of us just looked at each other And just gone Oh this is not what we were expecting Let's oh, just man. carry on here um, But uh, look out of that There was a couple of absolute gems we found hmm. Um, and sort of going around through the week, we met a lot of farmers who we really liked and, you know, going back before that story of, of Pedro, um, just a fantastic guy, did everything right. Um, his plantation was an old converted sugar mill and all the old equipment's still in there. Uh, he's got a farm, uh, sorry, uh, school on his farm that he helps educate the local children around there and a lot of the workers on his farm bring their kids in there that's where it's at man exactly right and and these are guys that we look at and just go we can build something with you yeah his coffee's not cheap but you know there's something in there that that we can work with and you know we've got some of his coffee here now do you think communicating that story to roasters help sell that coffee at a higher at a at a premium? Uh yes. Um and a lot of the ways that you know it's we took guys over there who have fallen in love with it and mm. you know who want to go back year after year and, and visit that farm and and more importantly invest into that farm yeah. uh in a long term sustainable uh, if- manner. But if I'm bluntly honest, a lot of the time it's, you know, I'll say to you, hey, I want a, a 
I want a Guatemalan. Um, I want it to taste sort of like this or this or this. I want these characteristics and you're going to send me samples of a couple of coffees and I'm just going to, you know, see what the price is, taste one and go, yeah, like that one. You know, it's, it's quite removed from the whole tell me the story. Uh, and uh, this is where this almost like a dichotomy of <laughs> yeah totally point. totally there's, there's a lot of i suppose different areas of it where i mean that at the scenario you've just described and this is something that that we get a lot uh but on the back end of it we've got to find those coffees that will suit what the majority of people want mm. and then you know if if i can fill a container with 80% of that coffee of really good stock standard kind of blender style coffees that allows me to put some rock stars in there as well. Yeah. And, and you know, tell Pedro's story of, of him and yeah. the school and, you know, sitting there cupping in this big open air kind of old farmhouse from sugar day mills and uh, sort of sugar mill days and, yeah. you know, the fountain out the side with the turtle swimming around it and all that kind of stuff <laughs> that goes with it, you know, and at the end of the day, if the coffee is of a quality that can back that up. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and I only ask one thing of the roasters that we sell it to. It's like, can I kind of buy half a kilo back off you? Because it was really tasty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought you'd be like sticking that little, what's that little tool that you pierce the, the bag the with? The dryer and- into <laughs> it, yeah. Um, no, I, I remember doing that uh, over Christmas time and it was you know, Christmas Eve or the day before and there was no one else around, I realised, oh, I've got no coffee. I may or may not have thrown a couple of samples <laughs> into the sample roaster to take home over the break. But <laughs> uh, Well, I never run out of coffee at home. That's uh, that's definitely a perk. Definitely a perk. So what are some of the things that uh, roasters can do to make your life easier? What's the best way for us to communicate to you what we're looking for, what we want to buy? Um because I know generally I'm driven by a particular flavour characteristic um, or a particular origin based on the assumption that it's going to taste like X, Y, Z. What's the best way for us to communicate to a trader like you what samples you should send us? Is uh, I think exactly what you said, uh, is communicate what you're looking for, what flavour profile you're after, Um how much you're looking for as well is sure. is also quite important uh, and kind of dollar price as well yeah. like i you know if you're if you're looking for something that tastes uh let's say like blueberries for argument's mm. sake you know i can i can send you three or four coffees that t- have that flavor profile to it and you can cut through all of them and go this is awesome this is awesome this is awesome how that's, much? Of- that's pretty much what happened last time you sent me samples. <laughs> I'm like, this taste is Brazilian. Like, oh, that's good. Oh, what's this next one? And it's going to be a different name. Oh, that's just as good. Oh, now what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> but How much are they? Okay, go with that one. <laughs> no, but, and that's the thing. Um, you know, like, I want to drive a Ferrari. Yeah. Ferraris are cool. Yeah. I don't drive a Ferrari though because I can't afford one, um, and it, it it's got to work for you. It, it, this all those if all those factors line up, price, quality, consistency, how much of it you need, happy days. Yeah, and it's just 
it's one of those things that, that more is more. And one thing that's that's fantastic in our industry now, especially the last couple of years, is those the breakdown of people holding their cards close to their chest. Sure. Especially roasters to roasters, people are a lot more open, a lot more engaging and happy to have other people in and have that sharing of knowledge. Mm. And that's one thing as a trader we need as well mm. is a lot of a lot of times it's been a barrier to people bringing like we you know traders have almost been the gatekeepers of the world of coffee outside of the country like if and talking about guys going direct and the romanticism and that is i think there's been a lot of that going on because coffee the coffee wasn't there that people were looking for Mm. so from our point of view we need to know what you're looking for so we know what to get like i have coffees that I like Mm. you know you have coffees that you like but I'm not going to bring in stuff that we that people aren't looking for that people aren't interested in and the more info you get for demand it's like well that's where we need to be directing procurement exactly right yeah exactly right Um, and you know we've got some some coffees that we really like that some people sit there or sit on the fence and go oh but I like it like, why doesn't it sell? And it's just, yeah. you know, there's a, a million different things yeah. in there that affect it. I think one of the things that really struck me when moving to a, a longer-term greens supply was the the fact that, and I've asked you this before, you know, I want to spend a couple more dollars. I've, you know, room in the in the costings to spend a few more bucks on this one. But that's not going to directly transfer to an increase in flavor or an increase in tastiness. It just seems odd. I mean, can you explain a little bit about the dynamics of of the pricing without you know going into specifics? But um, what are the influencing factors in how a coffee gets the price it gets? Because you can taste two different two different coffees, one you like better, and it can actually be cheaper than the other one. Yep, yep. Can you break that down? Price, there is uh, there is a correlation sometimes mm. between price and quality, but Cup everything. Yeah. Cup coffee, cup. And again, this goes back to having conversations with, with whoever you're dealing with on a, on a green side mm. is talk lots, cup lots of coffee, sample coffees together. So you have that baseline of, of where each person is at um, because I'm happy to send out coffees that – it's an interesting kind of kind of one here because I said I'd go back to a cupping we had a while ago where we did a triangulation mm-hmm. and it was a specialty coffee on there. Sorry, two specialty coffees on there and one commercial coffee. And I, we use so if players at home, commercial coffees scoring sort of that low eighties kind of mark. You know, pro, ideally not in grain pro. Yeah. Uh, freely available where the, the specialty coffee side, we kind of look for a cupping score of 80 plus yeah. normally, and normally is a dangerous word in yeah. coffee. Uh, we'll come in grain pro, all those kind of things. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so triangulation so cupping. We, so we held this triangulation where we had these three 
so there's two different coffees together, three different cups. Everybody liked the commercial coffee. <laughs> Over the specialty. Yeah. And then when, when we revealed what they were, I was like, well, what's that? I would just, you know, just got some coffee. Yeah. Comes in a bag. This one over here is, comes in a grain pro bag. A couple of dollars more expensive. I'll have that one. <laughs> Why? Because oh, it comes in grain pro or it's quite unquote special. But you like the other one. Yeah. You like the other one better. So, and this is something that, you know, I say to, to roasters all the time is cup everything. Talk about it, narrow down what you're after because there's no point in me sending you a hundred different samples of everything from a Ferrari to a Suzuki. Yeah. If that doesn't fit what you're after. But do you pick up that fear from the roaster that it's like, well, I can't buy that because it's not quote specialty and I'm going to lose some kind of cred if it's not specialty. Absolutely. Um, And I think in, in a lot of ways, and this is a purely personal opinion that, the word specialty is very dangerous. Yeah. What does uh, it mean to you guys? Because obviously, you, see, you know, we know the technical term is, you know, 80 plus. Uh, uh, but what, there's specialty and specialty. Uh, Agreed. And I think that the words thrown around so often, uh, you know, races, oh, it's just, oh, they're a specialty race. Oh, okay. Oh, that makes them better. And it's like, well, no, the coffee might not taste better and their roasting processes or ability to roast well for that bean might not be better but they're using it as some kind of, uh, you know, one-up on non-specialty. I mean, look, specialty should really be, what is it, um, sweet, clean, defect-free. Yeah. Uh, that's where we should be at. Yeah. Um, and as you said, there, there is specialty and specialty. There is coffee out there at on a, on a green side of things. You know, we're averaging what, say 4 to $12 a kilo kind mm. of stuff. There's coffee out there at 20 There's coffee out there at mm. 30 60 100 bucks a kilo. Is that coffee any better than something else? Uh, normal. Uh, most customers out there are going to appreciate that difference mm. in there. These are not questions I can answer. Yeah. Uh, from, from my point of view, I like good clean, consistent coffees, things that taste good. Hmm. If it works for what you're doing, if it's if it's a price point that works for you, if it's delicious, if you like it, if you can use it and sell it onto people, go for it. Hmm. Um, and uh, again, I, I feel myself shying more and more away from that specialty label hmm. to just drinking good coffee. Um. We we can all... But for a long time, it was like, but what does that mean? What does good coffee mean? You need some kind of way to measure it and say, you know, this is different or this is commanding a price slightly more premium than what I was buying before. Well, I I mean, I've I've got a lot of mates who ask me this as well. What's the best coffee? And they hate this answer. I hate it with a passion. <laughs> Whatever you think is the best. <laughs> That's exact, my exact reply is, is the best coffee out there is the one you like. Yeah. If, you know, if you like drinking VB... Go for it. Yeah. Like it, it's what you enjoy. It's it's your money on what you want to spend. Personally, I like a nice craft beer because yeah. I like some flavor to yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's the same thing in coffee. It's what you enjoy, what you can sell. Um, we've got some 
absolutely amazing, ridiculous, off-the-chain Colombians at the moment. Mm. But personally, they're delicious. I love. I think they're amazing. I really hope other people agree with me and buy them because I want that experience of being a punter and going into a shop and drinking that coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hope it. I hope it works. And for me, that's the uber high end, quote unquote, sort of specialty stuff. Yeah. Um, I sort of see a specialty a lot of ways being used, as you were saying, like as a brand almost, mm. as a point of difference between coffee shop A and coffee shop B and, you know, all sort of roaster A and mm. roaster B. Uh, going back five years ago, absolutely. Like it was, you know, even 10 years ago when we were pushing the industry out there, educating people. I I don't know. And maybe my opinions will change again in yeah. sort of, you know, the value of the terms diluting. Yeah, it may, you know, in six days, six weeks, six months, it might it may sort of change. Yeah. Um, I just, from a purely personal point of view, I'd love to see roasters put out good coffee that people enjoy, that everybody has a sustainable business, yeah, that they can achieve what they want to do, whether it's you know maintain what they've got or grow, or just roast good coffee and enjoy it. Um, that would, I mean, that's an ideal kind of, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that's kind of dreamland scenario kind of thing, but it'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've probably scratched the surface of, of greens and uh, what's involved, um, but I've had a heaps fun time talking, talking with you today. It's been way too long since we've caught up, but uh, yeah, thanks so much for being on the show for us today. And before you go, anything new coming up for you guys? Anything interesting? Any new trips to Origin coming? Uh, look, hopefully, uh, and we're talking about these Colombians. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and this is sort of going, I suppose this is, wraps up a lot of what we were talking about. Mm. Uh, we have a, a farmer, Felipe, in the country at the moment. And he's, yep. and this, as you said, he was scratching the surface and there's so much on, on his story in his last uh, six months that we could go into. And that I think there'd be a whole other podcast yeah. to itself. Uh, but look, he's, he's in Melbourne. He's been in Melbourne for the last six months, uh, doing his master's in agriculture at Melbourne uni. Oh yeah. Um, and through a few guys, we, we've got to meet him and we're bringing over some of his coffees and we've been doing a couple of cuppings, uh, the last couple of weeks through, uh, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide last week, Melbourne this week and some amazing stuff. So he's has a massive farm, uh, also has a number of neighbouring farms around him that he works with. Uh, sort of, That's his Neighbours and Friends series. Mm. Uh, also has a heavy involvement with Sweet Latitude as oh. well. So he's, sorry, I should say he's La Palma and El Toucan. Mm. Um, so we're lining up a couple of origin trips to go to Colombia and visit his farm and he's diversifying a lot of what he's doing as well. So really... Interesting, different coffees uh, yeah. as opposed from your stock standard sure. uh, washed. So, doing naturals, doing honeys, doing lactic ferm fermentation. Yeah, he's also got a number of uh, little villas that he's built on his farm to bring people over. Oh, nice! Because you know, and he's only a young guy. He's only sort of uh, late thirties, early forties, but he sort of sees that as coffee producers, there's also got to be that diversification of 
educating people, getting people to origin, having letting them have a really good experience and seeing that as a way to promote his coffee and what he does. Um, but also sort of talking to him as well and what he's doing with other coffees and, and other regions. He's looking at going, I'm here, I'm studying because I need to know what's going on, how to make my product better, better. because the world's changing, climate's changing, coffee's not the same as it was a couple of years ago. And so this is a a whole different podcast in yeah. itself than something that I'm only sort of uh, jumping into as well, that it's a different world and it, it's changing. And so long story short, yes, Columbia soon, hopefully. Um, so that's on the cards and happy to go anywhere. Super excited to go anywhere. There's a whole world of different coffees and different origins out there and different places and people to see. And yeah. I'm just incredibly, incredibly fortunate. I'm in a place now that I kind of have some access to stuff like yeah. that. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. Had an absolute blast. Uh, look forward to catching up soon. And uh, where can people hit you up on socials? Uh, so on socials, either through the FTA site, which yep. is uh, FTA Coffee uh, or at FTA Coffee yep. on Insta or myself uh, at Dave Boudre on Insta. Awesome. All right. Thanks, mate. Anytime. Thank you. There you go. What a legend. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun listening back to that interview. Uh, it was recorded quite a while ago, actually, uh, in Melbourne. And um, you had forgotten a lot about what we talked about. So it was really good to to reminisce and listen to those stories again. Thanks again to everybody who's been subscribing it and checking out uh, all our episodes. It's it's still very cool to see the past episodes getting listened to and now and our listens bumping up there. So a uh, huge amount of love to everyone out there, everyone who loves t- uh, tuning in. Um, if you've got any questions for Dave or for myself or for any of our past guests, um, please feel free to email us in and, uh, and we'll definitely get on top of those. Uh, you can get us behind the brew at bricksmortarcoffee.com.au. Shoot us a line, say g'day, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely jump on. If there's any topics or people that you want us to interview, you um, shoot those through as well and we'll see what we can do. So yeah, feel free to uh, follow us on Insta as well, uh, Bricks and Mortar Coffee Co. Bricks and Mortar Coffee Co. Co., I reckon. Yeah, and jump on there and see what we're up to. We've got some very cool collaborations actually uh, coming up in the next few months. Um, some pretty exciting ones for us too, actually. Some some really great opportunities for us to grow and to um, to get some more coffee out there. And uh, yeah, so if you want to follow us along, that's where we'll be. Um, otherwise, um, yeah, stay classy and stay caffeinated. We will catch you around. Bye.